Yeah. Church, you believe that today? He is good, right? Yeah. God, we come to you because we trust that you are good. Because you are a good father. You are a good God. You are for us and not against us. And so God, we ask that you speak to us today. May we hear your voice and yours alone. God, minister to us. For we're here to meet with you. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. I have a seat. Friends, have you ever wondered how prayer works? A prayer is kind of this funny thing, right? Where it's, it's complex to say the least, kind of mysterious. God invites us to interact with him. He even invites us to ask him for things. But how does that work? Have you ever wondered how God chooses to answer prayer? Like, is there a divine prayer policy manual, a holy handbook that God uses flipping to certain pages, which prayers he answers in which orders and in which way? How does God choose who to give a yes to, who to give no to? How does God decide which prayers to answer? Have you ever wondered what happens when our prayers might be in conflict with each other? Let's say 11 or 12 people go in to apply for a job. They're all praying about it, and there's only one opening. 12 people, one job, all praying, 11 of them go home disappointed. What about those prayers in conflict when you're praying for a bright, beautiful day, like the kind of day we had today? Woohoo, right? Nice day out there. You're praying for a nice, beautiful, sunshiny day so that, you know, the soccer game goes well or the cookout goes well. But just down the street, the farmer's praying for some rain so his crops will grow. Who gets the yes? Who gets the win, right? Two sports teams come into conflict. They have people praying on both sides that they're going to win. Somebody's got to lose, or at best, there's a tie. How does God choose on that one? You and your spouse, it's the end of the day, right? One of you is praying for a good evening. The other one's just praying for a good night rest. Somebody's disappointed, right? Like, who is God going to say yes to on that, right? Like, you're praying for a raise, and your boss is looking for ways to cut back, praying for how he can trim the budget. Somebody's going to be unhappy, right? How does God say yes? Who does God side with? And does God really care about our sports victories? How does God answer our prayer? What would the world look like if God said yes in the way you want him to for all of us, for all of our prayers? Maybe you remember that scene in the movie Bruce Almighty. Bruce is given this brief time where God has Bruce step into the God seat, the position of authority. And, and Bruce is just inundated with the prayers of billions of people all over the world. Like, oh man, can't keep up with this. And so he just creates this way to reply yes to all, right? You remember that scene? And chaos ensues. What would happen if God were to give the answer we want for each of us to all the prayers we pray? What might the world look like if God answered that way? Would God, in effect, cease to be God? If God let us run the show and turned the running of the world over to us, wouldn't that mean he would be no longer God? He would be our servant, not our Savior. He, he would be putting the, the authority, putting the control in us. If God were to do that, wouldn't he cease to God? And wouldn't that be a scary thing? I mean, after all, just look at what happens when we are in charge. Now, we as humans have done some really good things along the way, but consider some of the less good things that have happened when 
we have abused the limited power God has given us. I mean, after all, human history is a history where we have fought wars and committed genocide. We've found the air. We've polluted the water. We've destroyed forests. We've established unjust political systems, concentrated wealth in small pockets, and have widespread global poverty. And sometimes we have done that in his name. I mean, if you want to know, like, how bad the world could be, just consider spam. I think we got a picture of it. There it is. I mean, this, right? Like, at some point, somebody thought this was a good idea. And then all the recipes you can find that go with this that somebody still thinks is a good idea. Growing up, I remember eating some of this stuff. Like, listen, left to our own device, this is just proof that at some point, sin does indeed literally leave a bad taste in your mouth. Like, this is the kind of thing we come up with when left to our own devices. What would the world look like if we got a yes to all we ask all the time? What kind of havoc might we inflict? I mean, just consider the history, the biblical history of the Israelites, God's chosen people, people who had access to divine supernatural power. And it would seem that during their golden eras, those were the good days for the Israelites, it might seem that that was when God was blessing them. And in fact, it was during those seasons of, of blessing, those, those golden era moments, like during the reign of Solomon, when things were most out of control for them. That's when pride and decadence was the way they lived. But during the times of national humiliation, when you would look at that people and say, oh man, what a tragic position for them. That's actually when they had spiritual fervor, when they turned back to God. That seems to be the way of the human heart. When things are going well, we tend to act like we don't need God. I mean, just look 20 years ago. There was a declining amount of church attendance, but then there was this moment of national tragedy on 9-11. And for the weeks following that, there was a spike in church attendance, a spike in Google searches for prayer, for meaning, for purpose, for safety, for what, when when things are out of control for us, we know we need control to come from somewhere and we don't have it, we turn to God. Sometimes when things are at its worst, that's when we are most faithful. So we know that God does say yes to prayer. Sometimes, to some of our prayers. But how do we know when? Not like you, you can do a Google search on this and you'll find some answers here. You'll, you'll find that, you know, there, there's a, somebody selling you the, the seven ways to guarantee God says yes to your prayers. Somebody else giving you a trick of, you know, do this formula to make sure God answers your prayer. I mean, you can Google and find all kinds of things. I'm just not convinced they work. They work for the person selling it. <laughs> I just don't think that's how God functions. Not the history of the Bible. It's not been my history, not been my experience. So how do we know which prayers will get answered, when they will get answered, how they will get answered? And if we're unsure, then really it kind of begs this question, what's the point? What's the point of prayer? Is there assurance to it? Well, for starters, to answer that question, if we're going to look at does prayer work or how it works, we got to remember that prayer is bigger than just asking for something. We got to expand our perspective on what prayer really is. I mean, for sure, there is the petitionary prayer. The, the Bible has 650 different prayers recorded in it, 650 different examples of prayer, let alone all the times it encourages us to pray. 
And not only are there these 650 different moments of prayer that we're able to see, but there's tons of different kinds of prayer. The, the petitionary prayer, where we petition God, we ask him for something for us. And the Bible instructs us to do that and invites us to God, invites us to come to him, tell him what we want, what we need, what we think we need from him. And so we petition. And he says, do that and do that boldly and confidently. But don't only do that. There's also the intercessory prayer where we go to God on behalf of somebody else to intercede for them, asking God to provide health or well-being or providence for some person who's in need. There's the confession prayer where we acknowledge that we have done wrong or we have chosen not to do what was right. And we confess that, we apologize for that, we claim the forgiveness from the cross offered for that, and then we repent and Invite God to help us go a different direction. That there's the prayer of adoration, where we just adore God for who he is. Like a, a mother to a child just adores the child, not for what the child can provide, but just because the child is just cute and adorable, like a spouse to their significant other. Like when I look at my wife, I just, she's beautiful. And so at times I tell her, you're beautiful. I just adore her. That doesn't mean I want something from her. Sometimes I might be trying to, you know, like, hey, you know, how about that cake? You know, like, hey, how about this? You know, but most of the time, most of the time, I just adore her because she's adorable, right? Like, there's that moment of going to God and just acknowledging, God, you are God. You are mighty. You're divine. You're holy. You're incredible. Wow. It's just being in awe of him, just being wowed by God. There's the lament prayer when life seems out of control and, and we're in distress and we just cry out to God and paying God I need you and there's the prayer of thanksgiving where we express our gratitude to God for what he has done in our life or throughout history in the world and on and on and on the list goes I, I think it's fascinating if we just look at the prayers of Jesus how he prayed when he prayed and we look at what the gospels show of that the gospels Matthew Mark Luke John the first four books of the new testament that give us a snapshot of the life of Jesus the ministry of Jesus and we look in there at the kinds of prayers Jesus prayed according to the gospels we see a long list he prayed at his baptism he prayed in the morning before heading to Galilee he prayed after healing people he prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples there's a lot more we go on we got another page of this he prayed to give thanks to the Father before feeding a lot of people. He prayed before Peter called Jesus the Christ. He prayed at the transfiguration. On and on it goes. He got more pages and more pages, right? Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed for little children. He prayed while dying on the cross. The kinds of things he spoke of in these prayers. He asked forgiveness for others, provision for others. He prayed against temptation for himself and others. He prayed gratitude to the Father. prayed for the removal of pain. He prayed for the unity and the protection of his followers. And that's just some of the stuff that four guys decided to write down when they were talking about it. And Jesus prayed all the time. I mean, just consider all the unwritten, unrecorded moments of prayer when Jesus turned to acknowledge the presence of God through prayer in his daily life. And, and Jesus prayed in this way where, where he held nothing back in his prayers. He prayed as though prayer actually mattered, that it would do something that would affect some change. Jesus prayed in a way that he believed prayer would change things. He, he, prayed, he, he prayed as though it was as important or more that it was just as meaningful as the times when he was healing people or ministering to their needs or teaching them. Jesus had this robust prayer life 
where he prayed as though things would change because of his prayers. And he invited us to pray the same way. Luke records in his gospel. These are Jesus' words. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Keep on doing. He goes on. It says, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. If you're asking, seeking, knocking for the things of God, God is going to reveal them and give those things to you. Jesus goes on. It says, you fathers, if your children ask, for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. No, you don't do that. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love that question. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You ask, seek, and knock for the things of God, not just the things you want, but the things of God, you're going to receive, you're going to see. So it would seem that there's this invitation there to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. That prayer is not a means where we have to twist God's arm and beg God to overcome his reluctance to provide. Now, now what we see in scripture is that we get to come to God who is ready to provide, who is eager to do for his children, who delights in providing for his kids, that God is a good father. Now, some may wonder, does prayer then change God? Is God changed by our prayers? Well, yes and no. Prayer does not change who he is. It does not change his will or his character. It does not change his sovereignty. It does not change the essence of who God is. No, no, no. You're not going to change the character of God. But because of his unchanging character, because of his unchanging mercy, his unchanging love, his unchanging care for his children, your prayer may affect some change in how and when he intervenes and intercedes for you, how he interacts with this world. Consider this. Somebody does not believe in God. They walk away from God. They dismiss God. But then that person turns and repents and they turn toward God. And at that moment, God's interaction with them changes. That person's trajectory changes. They've been moving towards hell. Now they're set on a course toward heaven. They've been moving away from God. Now they're moving toward him. And God does change how he interacts with that person in that moment. God changes how he interacts with us. Sometimes based on our prayers. It's a mysterious thing. I wish I could give you an answer for just how exactly it works. But I can't. See, I I think it's healthy. The the best answer I could give is this. Picture God as a parent who really loves his kids and wants to do good by them. God is not a divine dictator who's aloof and far off and ruling from a distant spot, just barking out orders and commands. Because that's how he would sound if that's who he was. No, no, no. God is a loving dad drawing near to his kids who wants to help them. He cares for them. Now, I've got three kids, and I try to be a good dad. And so, in my attempt to be a good dad, sometimes I say yes to my kids, but I mean, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't say yes to my kids. My kids, if you ask them, they might tell you I don't say yes enough. <laughs> but it's precisely because I love them. That sometimes the things my kids are asking for, the things they want, the things they think they need, or the things they think will 
make life good for them or the exact things that might hurt them or harm them or just disrupt the peace in their life. My wife, Jen, and I can see from a different perspective. And so sometimes we got to say no and sometimes we get to say yes and sometimes we just say not yet. Sometimes we know the busyness of our house. And I'm a dog guy. I love dogs. My kids keep asking, but the answer is just no at this stage. I like dogs, but I got you guys. (laughs) You're enough to manage right now. We don't need another one in the mix. Sometimes it's just not a yet, right? It's just not yet, right? Like, oh, ice cream right before we go to bed. Probably not the best idea, but let's hold on to that. Maybe tomorrow we'll take a walk over to the shop. We'll take a walk up there. We'll get some ice cream. Then it'll be great. Tomorrow afternoon, a better time than like 1030 at night, right? It's just not going to do well sitting in your belly. You're not going to sleep well. Now, middle age, that might change. I'm just saying. But as a kid, no, no, no. Right? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's not yet. Sometimes I get to say yes. It just depends on the situation. Depends on what I know is best for my kids. And if that's how I interact with my kids, as a flawed dad at best, how much more so does God perfectly interact with us as a loving dad who cares for us? He knows that sometimes things we want, he just has to tell us no. It's really not going to be good for us. Sometimes he's got to tell us not yet, and sometimes he gets to say yes. But that means sometimes we've got to learn some patience and we've got to learn to trust God to be God. It's kind of the point of another part of Luke's gospel. Luke records a parable that Jesus told. Luke says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Everybody say, always pray. pray. Say, never give up. up. Uh, This includes you online. You've got to say it with us. Say, always pray. pray. Say, never give up. No, no, I said everybody says, right? Say it like you mean it. Say, always pray. Always pray. There you go. Say, never give up. Yeah. There you go, man. Now we got it. Always pray and never give up. Now, unlike most of the parables you come across in the Gospels, where you figure it out on the backside, or you got like a little question like, hmm, what did you mean? This one tells us the point of the parable is that. Always pray and don't stop, right? Pray and keep on praying. So Jesus says, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. Sounds like a delightful man. He goes on, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. But the judge ignored her for a while. Finally, he said to himself, says, I don't fear God or care about people. I love that the guy is so good. He knows that about himself and doesn't care. But this woman is driving me nuts. So I'm going to see that she actually gets justice. Because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Now, this phrase, wearing me out, is actually a boxing term for repeated jabs to the face. It was the, the, the term they would use if somebody was hitting right below the eye. They just kept jabbing right there in the face. Boom, 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 boom. And that's what she's doing with the prayer. She just keeps jabbing the guy. And it's like, I'm tired of this. Fine, I will give you justice. And Jesus goes on. He says, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Now hold on to that word quickly. Because sometimes we read that as modern day Americans. And we miss the nuance of what's going on in the context and what was intended in the original language. And this next question frames it all up it says when the son of man returns how many will he find on the earth who have faith now this whole parable 
This is kind of a bookend of what Jesus was talking about right before this parable. He was talking about the return at the end of days. The end of the world and the consummation of history and when Jesus comes back for his final return. And then he tells this parable. He says, keep on praying and never give up. And says, and when I return, will I find you faithful? So this word quickly, we read that and we think immediately, right now, look at the split, woo, it's going to happen. Well, we would be better off to translate that. When Jesus provides for us, when God answers the prayer, he will do it in due time. Not exactly sure when it's going to happen. But when it happens, when his justice comes, it won't be a dripping faucet, it'll be a floodgate. When his justice comes in that moment, it will come quickly. Now he's framing this up in the context of the end of days, but he's also telling us, until then, keep praying and trusting, and don't stop. Don't stop trusting your father. And we know that sometimes God does answer prayer immediately. We see that in scripture. We see that when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's going up against the 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 other prophets of the pagan gods, the gods of Baal, and, and he's challenging them, and he kind of challenges them to this duel of, of an altar and calling upon their God, and their God just doesn't answer, and it's delayed, 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 to the point where Elijah has a little fun with him. He's like, hey, maybe, maybe your God is in the bathroom, and you gotta give him a couple minutes. Call to him again, right? And it, it, their God just fails, and then Elijah's like, all right, you got the wood, you got the animal, you got the stone, soak it all with water, a lot, and they just dump water on this thing. It's like, all right, God, fire from heaven, do your thing. And God shows up immediately. And he shows off. And it's awesome. Sometimes God answers immediately. King Hezekiah, here's news that his life is about to end. And so he begs God in that moment, God, just a little more time. Please, God, more time. Your work, this world, let me be part of it. Isaiah the prophet comes, tells him his prayer is answered immediately. You get another decade and a half. Keep at it. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who we looked at last week, guys who defy a foreign king who is ruling over them. And they're thrown into this fiery furnace as a death sentence. And they have made King Nebuchadnezzar so angry, so he has them bound and chained, and they're thrown into the fire. And then immediately the chains are loosed, and they're unbound, and they're dancing around, and there's a fourth one in there. God or one of his angels is hanging with them, and they're protected. And contrary to what I said last week, I've just got to take a moment and apologize and confess that sometimes I get ahead of myself, and sometimes things are coming out of the mouth when something else is going on in the brain, and I get a little brain glitch. And I mentioned last week that they may have smelled like smoke or they may have been a little singed. And in fact, part of the miracle of what I intended to communicate was that they did not smell like smoke. Their clothes were not singed. I don't even think the dudes were sweating. They came out of this intense sauna and they're like, we're good. Like that's part of the miracle, how God shows up. And he did it right then, immediately. They didn't even have to wait. Sometimes God shows up immediately. We see it in scripture. You've seen it in your life. Sometimes right away but more often maybe most often God takes his time and so what do we do with that I mean sometimes God moves quickly but oftentimes his response seems delayed and that's why Jesus tells us to keep praying and not give up to persist in our communication and connection with the father See, when there's a delay, the danger is not that God is being unfaithful to us, but the danger is that we will give up on him. That we will cease 
to go to him in prayer, that we will cease to turn to him, that we will lose heart, that we will lose focus, that we may lose faith. The danger is never that God will be unfaithful to his people and turn his back towards us. The danger is that we would stop going to him. And so Jesus says, keep on praying. Don't let the delay make you think that he doesn't. So Jesus instructs us to be persistent, but persistent implies this need for patience. It implies this idea of waiting, and waiting just doesn't seem to go well for us. How many of y'all like to wait? How many of you deliberately choose to get into the, the line when you're pulling up to the traffic signal, and there's 20 cars on one side and two on the other? How many become the 21st car, right? Like you get in the shopping line, and you choose the slow lane where you're like, oh, that person's having a bad day, and they can't get anything. And there's people who have like 18 cartloads in one. And you're like, yeah, I'll get in that line. How many of you choose it, right? Like, we are impatient people. And if you're wired like me, like, I'm doubly impatient. I'm just going to let you know that. It is a vice, not a virtue. I am impulsive and impatient, and I constantly am at war against that, and I have to work on that. That's a flaw in my personality. And so Jesus tells us, (laughs) that's not good. Persistence is what you need. See, waiting allows this place for God to do his work. This tedious place between the now and the not yet provides a place for God to do some work in us. So here's one of the takeaways, right? Sometimes God has got to do a work in us before he's going to do a work for us. Sometimes God's got to do a work in us to change who we are, to give us patience, to develop our character, to draw us closer to himself. Sometimes God's got to do a work in us to get us to keep coming back to him before he's just going to show up and do that thing among us or for us. So give him space to do work in you not just for you. Give him some room to be God and to form you in his image. But patience is this mark of spiritual maturity that God develops over time in us. It doesn't just happen. Like, this is the absurdity of how I pray for patience. I'm just gonna let you know that. I have a moment where I know I need patience and you know what I do? God, give me patience. Like right now, it's the most impatient prayer in the world when I'm praying for patience. Like, God, I'm really need to be patient because I'm not patient. God, would you give me patience? Like, hurry up with the patience so I'll be calm. That's just dumb, right? Like, and you know, God, I'm pretty sure God is a good father saying, boy, I'm trying to teach you. If you'll just open your heart, turn to me and let me teach you, you'll learn patience. Patience is not so much given as it is learned. Uh, right? Any of you all with me on that one? Yeah. All right. Yeah, good. Some of you. Yeah, you're right there with me. Thanks. It's good to know I'm not the only sinner in the room sometimes. So patience is this learned trait. Oh, sometimes agonizingly so. But it makes me wonder, right? How long? How long must we wait? That's a fair question. It's a it's a biblical question. The psalmist, Psalm 13, says, Hey God, how long? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle? How long will my enemy triumph? God, how long is it going to take? And God says, just hold on. I'll do it. That's a fair question for us to ask. But God's going to do his thing. How long? Friends, think of the, the longevity of history. The centuries, the millennia that passed between Adam and Eve with the fruit in the garden and Jesus coming out of the grave in another garden. 
centuries that were filled with Noah, waiting a long time from that first board he sawed to the first raindrop he saw. Centuries that were filled with Abraham and Sarah waiting decades for a child, way past when they thought it would make sense. Centuries filled with Jacob waiting seven years for his wife, finding out his father-in-law tricked him and waiting seven more years. Time that was filled with the Israelites waiting four centuries for deliverance and liberation from the Egyptians. Moses waiting four decades for the call to be their liberator. Wandering in the desert 40 years before they make it to the promised land, and some of them don't even get to go in. Moses ascending Mount Sinai during that time, waiting several days to hear the voice of God before he even gets to speak to God, hear his voice, and then receive the Ten Commandments. David waiting in caves for his promised coronation as king. Daniel waiting three weeks for an answer to his prayer. Jeremiah waiting 10 days in the midst of war. Listen, wartime is a difficult time. That accelerates the timeline. And Jeremiah waiting 10 days to hear God's response in the midst of war. Prophets waiting for a long, long time. Some of them don't even get to see the answer to some of their bizarre predictions. Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Anna, Simeon, like most other Jews, waiting a long time for the promised Messiah. And then Mary waiting nine months to meet this child and waiting several years to find out how it's all going to happen, how it all comes to fruition. The disciples waiting impatiently and anxiously for Jesus to step into the role of the power Messiah they wanted for it to never happen. And then waiting three days for a resurrection they didn't realize was coming. Waiting 40 more days until Pentecost. The Gentiles waiting for the church to get it together and move from Jerusalem out to bring the hope and the love of God to the rest of the world. And many of them still waiting, by the way. It's on us. And all of creation now waits with eager anticipation for the return of the king. Jesus himself waited. Waited 30 years to begin his ministry, waited three days in the grave, waited 40 days to help his disciples, his followers get it before he went back to his glory in heaven. And scripture tells us he's still waiting, that he delays his return because he's waiting on you to turn to him. But friend, be warned, his patience won't last forever. He won't always wait. So turn to him now while there's time. Today. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he understood something that the impatient, impulsive types like me have a hard time with. That oftentimes God moves slowly. God takes his time. And his time is often different than the timeline we would prefer. As Philip Yancey, author and speaker, says, biblical history tells a meandering, zigzag tale of dog legs and detours. God's plan unfolds like a leisurely walk in the park, not like an Olympic sprint on the track. So when the silence is deafening and the darkness blinding, persist. Keep praying and don't give up because God's still there and he's still at work. And he still desires to be with you. So we see this picture unfold for us. 
that history is a test of faith and the correct answer to that test is persistent prayer. To keep praying and never give up. So how long do we wait? How long do we pray? We'll pray for as long as it takes. Just keep at it. Pray like you're in it for the long haul. Not as soon as possible, but God, whenever you will do in due time. Because persistence is a sign of a genuine desire to see something happen. Persistence is a desire for relationship. It's a desire to see the action happen. I became a believer nearly three decades ago. And from day one, I've been praying for certain people in my life that they would begin the journey of Jesus with me. That they would know the hope, the joy, the freedom of salvation that I know in Jesus. And I've, I've been blessed to see some of them join me in that journey. But there's still some. Not yet. But friend, I'm not giving up on them. I'm not giving up on their salvation. I'm not giving up on God, so I'm not giving up on those prayers. Keep praying and never give up. I'm inspired by guys like Mark Batterson, pastor of National Community Church out in Washington, D.C. But years ago, Batterson, when his church was still small and fledging, could be numbered in the dozens, began taking prayer walks around the city. Walked out of his door one day, took a walk four miles around the city, and realized, man, that's pretty good thing. I just need to start walking circles and praying for things. Kind of like what we've invited you to do. Walk around the church and pray for the church and pray for our ministries and pray for our pastors and pray for our elders and pray for one another and pray for our neighbors and pray for our community and pray for our world and take some time walking around this place. Guys, we got about halfway through the series and we're not quite halfway through the number of of laps we encourage you to do. So I want to encourage you, before you leave today, take a lap. When you show up next week, take a lap. Come midweek, take a lap. Walk around this church, praying for this church and every ministry and every place of influence we have. And Batterson began doing that. And on that walk, he walked past this place. It was a rundown, kind of dilapidated old shack that had turned into a crack house where everything opposite of good was happening. And he began praying for it and prayed for that place for decades. And now they own it. And it's Ebenezer's Coffee House. And it's coffee with a mission, a coffee with a purpose. It's the best job of juice on Capitol Hill. You'll find Congress people and dignitaries and business people and some of the people who are the highest rollers and big players in D.C. getting their job of juice there in the morning and getting to hear about Jesus when they do it. And let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff coming out of D.C. That's the best message you're going to get. I got to go there a couple weeks ago with my boy. And man, what a beautiful thing. The best message in D.C. coming out of churches like National Community Church and Ebenezer's Coffee House. He was praying for that place for a long time before they ever turned it to redeem it to this place. What a beautiful thing. I'm inspired by guys like Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that's cool, man. You can clap for that. And God has given favor to that church and they have grown and they've got... All over that city, man, God is doing a work in the nation's capital. Pray for them. And they got the work cut out for them. (laughs) But I'm inspired by guys like Nelson Mandela. Mandela who lived in South Africa during apartheid. And he prayed for a peaceful end to apartheid. That when the, the white colonists from Europe had come in and they decided that they were more human and worth more than the Africans who lived in that place. And they created this unjust separation. Blacks on one side, whites on the other as you go down the street. And Medela began praying against that. 27 years, prayed day in, day out, throughout the day, from behind jail walls because he was thrown into prison for bucking up against that system. 
And then he finally saw it happen. I'm inspired by people who pray prayers like that and don't give up. And, and if you read about Mandela, he'll tell you it was a beautiful thing of what God did there. But maybe what was more beautiful was how close he grew to God over those nearly three decades in a jail cell praying. Praying that God would do what he knew God would someday do. So maybe it makes us wonder, why pray? If it takes so long, if we're not sure how God answers, why pray? Well, let me remind us all, we began the series here, I just want to come back to this. We don't pray to get things, we pray to get with God. We pray to get with God. And so when we persist in prayer, here's the beautiful thing that happens. is persistent prayer keeps bringing God and us together. Why do I persist in prayer? Because it brings God and me together. That's how relationships work, isn't it? I talk to my wife most every day if I can. Not because I'm obligated to, but because I enjoy it. I enjoy holding hands, taking a walk in the evening breeze of the beginning of spring. Talking about things that seem pretty insignificant in the moment, but that moment becomes incredibly significant for us in our relationship. I enjoy talking with my wife, not because I want something out of it, but just because I delight in the relationship we have. I call my friends, not because my friends, I'm supposed to call them, but because I delight in the friendship I have with them. I, I hang out with my kids, not because that's what a dad is like supposed to do, but because I love my kids and I enjoy getting time with my kids. I love being part of what's going on in their world, hearing about their joys, their successes, their stories, even entering into their hurts with them. Helping them when I can, just being with them when I can. It's relationship. So why pray? What's the point? The point is that it keeps bringing us together with God. And there's something really beautiful in that. So friend, let me ask you, what have you given up on? What do you need to re-up your commitment to pray for? And where do you need to persist? But for some of you, maybe it's not that you need to persist. Maybe you've just never started. So you need to begin praying and keep praying. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep trusting, keep coming back to him. And now for some of you, maybe life just seems so overwhelming right now. You, you're not even sure you got words for it. You're not even sure you're able to do that. And if that's you, I'm gonna invite you to join us at the end of the service right over there underneath the cross, the foot of that cross. Some of our elders are gonna be gathered there and they would gladly pray for you and pray with you. But friend, I want to invite you to keep praying and not give up. And keep allowing that to draw you closer to God and find the joy in relationship with Him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a God who invites us into relationship and you're a God who invites us to pray and you're a God who encourages us to persist and you're a God who loves us enough to not always say yes that sometimes you say not yet sometimes you say no because you've got a bigger picture than we do and you love us so God we thank you for the not yet and we thank you for the no's and we thank you for the yeses 
But way more than all of that, we thank you for you, for your unchanging character, your unchanging qualities, for your sovereignty and your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy and your love and your power. And we thank you that you've invited us to access all of that for your glory and our good. So God, I pray that your people will be a praying people. God, I pray that this church will be a praying church, that we will persist, that we'll always pray and we'll never give up because we just want more of you. And God, for those who don't know you, I pray today would be the day they begin. Today would be the day that they change how you interact in their life. And they turn from a life without you to the joy and the beauty of life with you. Oh God, may it be so. Jesus, we pray.